It's time for another episode of the Infinite Loopback Podcast, an Apple-themed technology podcast with your hosts, Brian Baggett, Jim Graham, Brad Tarver, and Jason Young. Welcome to part two of our WWDC special, and we're going to get, uh, we still have a lot of ground to cover, I guess, so let's just go ahead and jump into things with macOS Monterey. So macOS Monterey was announced at WWDC 21 with a slew of features, and before we get into those features, uh, the only one among us who actually has installed it and played with it is, uh, is Brad. So Brad, uh, what are your first impressions of this, and what do you think about it? The install took extra long for some reason. I was pretty much one of those things where when I go to install, say, a new OS, you sit there in front of it and you anxiously await for it to welcome you to log in for the first time. And this seemed to take an extra long time. So I don't know if it was just because it was a beta or what, but it just seemed to take several hours. And your, your MacBook is a relatively recent MacBook, right? So it's not like it was ancient hardware that you put this on. Right. It's a 2016. It, this was my backup MacBook Pro, but it's a late 2016 core i5, 16 gigs of RAM. Very, very new. That's how we roll. We, we have backup MacBook Pros. Even the backups are nice machines. So the first thing I noticed right off the bat is a lot of things don't work. And I guess it's just because it was it's beta one. It, the Wi-Fi is in and out pretty pretty often on it. Uh, my wife wanted to use it just to pick it up and use Citrix on it for for work for three minutes, and Citrix just crapped out. Office 365 or Microsoft 365 installed on it. That pretty much doesn't work. It crashes a whole lot. Um, I guess I should be talking about everything that's cool and good about it, but it's been... No, I mean, there's there's no harm in that. I mean, I'm sure there's people listening who probably were thinking about taking the plunge. And if they want to do anything remotely like what they would do in their everyday life, I mean, first of all, you have to be crazy to put it on a production machine or something you depend on. I mean, that that's a given. And that's why Josh had posted a tweet in Telegram about, you know, one of the developers having a, a screenshot that said, welcome to Mac OS, like, or everything just works or something to that effect. And it was the uh, the login screen the first time you boot up with all these error messages. And it's like, it's a beta it's designed, it's going to have problems. I mean, what do you expect? I, it feels unfair to me if you're going to post something like that and then call them out on it for something that's not even, it's pre-release software. I mean, it's not ready for prime time. The whole point is that you're supposed to be testing it. But no, I don't think it's negative at all that you're pointing this stuff out because that's that's good stuff to know. I If I put it on my, let's say, backup laptop, uh, <laughs> You know, it'd be good to know that I couldn't use 365 or any of those things on it. But the newly designed Safari is pretty neat. Uh, probably the first five minutes, it was sort of annoying the way they've organized the tabs, but it's gotten to where I really like it. After using it for a few hours, it's it's really kind of nice and it feels very intuitive compared to the old style of, of tabbed browsing. So it's not like one of those things that uh, that you'd instantly want to revert. Because one of the things that I saw brought up on Twitter is that there was a hack in Beta 1 where you could actually revert the behavior to the old Safari, and they've removed that in Beta 2. So I don't know. It seems like they're getting some cold feet about it, but you're saying that it's not as bad. Once you get used to it, it's it's actually pretty cool. Yeah, at, at first it's it's sort of not bad. It's daunting just because it's you just got to get used to it, but... After using it, it, it feels more natural to me than regular, you know, the old school, if you will, tabbed browsing. 
And that's kind of weird because I've heard a lot of people, uh, a lot of the people running the betas with this new Safari have just universally panned it and talked about how, hey, it's it, you know we get you're trying to reinvent, but get back to the drawing board because they just do not like it at all. I don't think they've used it enough because I, I mean, after you know three or four hours of say watching television and you lean over and you surf a little bit or whatever, I mean, you know, so using it for several hours, I mean, it it really does start to feel natural i don't know i i haven't even seen it and i'm and i don't like it i just don't change my tabs i don't know (laughs) this is exactly you you just set me up you teed it up perfectly for the segue of what i was about to say and i i was about to say that most people that use macs are probably especially the ones that are vocal on twitter are probably of our age demographic and they don't like change they're past the age where they they want things to change they want stability and when you introduce change it's it's you know roundly rejected by a lot of people but once you get used to it it's not so bad that's the that's the thing that i fear especially something as universal as browser tabs i mean that just I don't know. It, that was one of the things that I didn't think needed fixing, right? <laughs> like they fixed a lot of stuff and changed a lot of stuff and brought a lot of stuff to phone, iPad, you know, Mac, like, you know, sharing things that that needed to be shared between them. But but I don't see that as one of the things that I thought needed to be fixed. <laughs> Brad, can you elaborate on how you feel it's better? The, the way the tabs kind of move around based on your active tab because they, they do sort of move left and right based on what active tab you're on or what what tab you may be closing or opening as, as far as a new tab or whatever. Are we talking like the staircases in Harry Potter? Like things are moving around? I mean, no, no. <laughs> they, they, you know, they as, as you say, move through your tabs instead of like the focus tab, you know, becoming the next one as you move across doing like a control tab through them. It's sort of like, if you will, when you use the taskbar in Windows, and I hate to compare something on the Mac to Windows, but when you're when you're on the taskbar on Windows, and instead of having your open task as just the icons on the taskbar, it's like your active task is the opened, the wider sort of tab, or wider sort of task that tells you what the name of the app is, and then the rest of the icon, the rest of the task that may be open the one that's not active is just the icon it's not the wide task item on the okay so as as you move through them you know they they sort of size you know wider and narrower as you move across the the browser and i guess that's sort of minor but it it sort of helps you focus more on say if you want to figure out what tab you're on for, for whatever reason. Uh, another thing that's cool, the, just the aesthetic of it, is like the the main color on a website, the whole top of the browser will take on that color. So instead of, you know, Safari just being gray across the, the toolbar all the time, you know, when I'm on um, my email client, it, I use the blue theme in my email client or my webmail and that same blue covers the whole top of the, the browser. And then when I flip over to another site that has a different color, it'll take over that, you know, it'll use that color. And it kind of helps you, I think, focus on what you're doing because it's there's no, you know, gray to blue transition between the browser and the page content. That's interesting. 
I mean, I am very guilty of having way too many tabs open a lot. Yeah, I've got tabs that have been open for weeks that I'm supposed to do something and I just haven't done it. And so they're still just sitting, you know. <laughs> it, it makes me wonder if they didn't do it to help with productivity or focus, you know, trying to give you one color over the entire page, you know, and, and sort of blending it into the UI of that of the browser on, when you're on that tab versus the, another tab. It just kind of gives off the impression of a, or the, the view of a borderless window, I guess. Yeah, that that's probably true. Do you think that that paradigm, when it's translated to iOS and iPadOS, are going to have big implications for, you know, this is the way I do it on the Mac, but this is really driven by a mobile-first sort of interface, and the Mac just sort of got it as an afterthought, but they've made it work? I mean, not that it's not that it's uh, necessarily a bad thing on the Mac, but I kind of wonder when I saw the, uh, the WWDC keynote when they were showing off this feature that it sort of felt like they were doing this for for folks on the ipad and the iphone for a simplified experience because getting back that real estate of the tabs seemed more impressive there than it would uh necessarily on a mac where you're going to probably have a bigger screen i mean i guess that could be true as as far as trying to make it more of a a unified type experience across platforms if you want to call it that between a mobile platform and a, a a laptop or desktop type platform I do like how they've combined the uh, the address bar into the tab. So, you know, the, the active tab that you're on is, is the address bar for that page. So they are kind of combining elements, you know, and giving you more real estate, if you will, you know, for maybe more buttons or extensions or something to be used on the toolbar. Instead of having separate rows of things, like a separate row for the the tabs and a separate row for the um the the address bar all right now you're worrying me i'm just gonna have to go go to youtube and find a video because i'm sure i saw it in the keynote but i didn't pay as much attention to it and now we're you know a couple of weeks out but i need to yeah i need to go find that because yeah google changed some stuff back in chrome where like they tried to hide the like the addresses weren't the full addresses or something in the bar, you know, they, yeah. they did all that. I found that very annoying. Like I want to see exactly where I'm at and I don't know. I mean, it sounds like you get used to it and, and it, it's the kind of thing that it feels more natural as you, as you use it. It worries me already. You know, it's just one of the things you, you just get used to how the things work. Late August, if you haven't installed it yet, that would be the time to install it, start getting used to it. So the official release date, you know, you're, you're not caught flat footed. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I can put it on the the MacBook Air. You know, that's just my personal machine, so. Yeah, I was about to say, if anybody should have a spare Mac to play on, it should be you, Jim. You got, how many, like, three MacBook Pros over there? Two MacBook Pros and one MacBook Air. (laughs) See, there you go. Uh, And they're all on his desk right now. (laughs) Let's talk about Safari extensions now. So apparently that's universal in Monterey across iPad OS, iOS, and uh, Mac OS. So that's something that's kind of interesting. It's always kind of surprised me that it's taken this long for that to happen, considering that Apple has always had a pretty solid stance on what they're, they have to approve. Like you have to get the extensions through the App Store. So it has to go through the review process. So it wasn't like the Chrome or, or Firefox and where anything goes. This is something that's that's at least got some scrutiny around it. So you figure this would have been something they had done a long time ago, but I guess I'm, I'm glad it's finally here. I'm kind of interested to see how that's going to end up translating on a small screen with something like, if I think about 
the Safari extensions, I probably use one password, which right now on Mac OS is garbage for me, but, uh, uh, you know, Todoist, I think has one, uh, there's not a lot of extensions. There's a surprisingly few number of extensions compared to what you would expect. I don't use near as many on Safari as say I used to would have on Chrome Instapaper. So I use one there instead of, I've got a bookmarklet, but I use a extension for that. Yeah. I, like you said, one password. A lot of the extensions on Chrome I found have been sort of the, I don't trust that they're not watching where I go type of things. And that's something that just doesn't really fly in Safari. So I understand why there's probably not as many, you know, it's probably for my own good in that, in that respect. But, you know, I, I really wish there were at least more secure ones if there were things that I don't need that are, you know, browsing related. But I think that is the impetus for most people to design, you know, uh, browser extensions is for watching where people go on the Internet and then monetizing it somehow. You know, like the Honey app or is the one that comes to mind or the PayPal or whatever, you know, they really just want to see what you're doing. Ad blockers. And so I think everybody on this call all run potholes. So I have an ad blocker on my phone that I just keep turned off unless I'm going to be out of the house a lot. And I do have an ad blocker, like the same one that I use on my phone in Safari, but it's disabled because I have the pie hole at home. So I don't, I don't even run that at home. So I'm, I'm guessing most people, if they don't have a pie hole, they're probably running some sort of ad blocker. And they have those for the iPhone versions and iPad versions of Safari. They've had those forever. So those apparently, those aren't really extensions in the way that they're implemented in iOS, I suppose, but it's in, a, in the effect the same thing. So that uh, I'll be interested to see if this sparks adoption by developers. Now that you have the biggest platform that you could develop for, you know, do you want to do that? And I, you know, that might be a way to, uh, to at least benefit some of your users for your paid apps. Like, I really like it when there's something like a 1Password that, you know, will have a browser extension if I'm paying a subscription for it. So... That's the type of thing I like to see. So I hope that be uh, becomes you know something a little more uh, a little more universal. Speaking of universal, universal control. I think that was the the coolest thing that we saw demoed for Monterey. Brad, have you had a chance to play with that yet? No, I haven't. I forgot it even existed until y'all brought it back up again. So I haven't even thought about it since the the keynote happened. And I, the only other device I have in the house with a beta on it would be is my iPad. But do I have to be running? iOS or iPad OS 15 for it yeah. to work with Monterey. Yep. So yeah, I mean, I, I guess I could try that after the, after the call. <laughs> it does look neat to be able to, to move your, uh, move your trackpad or your mouse from one device to the other and have it be seamless. I mean, in a way it's going to kind of feel like, like sidecar in some respects, but you can be working on something in like a office dock in the iPad and then just drag it over to the Mac and it automatically will translate over to the proper app into the proper place. And you can drag graphics from the Mac into the iPad and just drop a photo into a presentation. So, I mean, it's really blurring the line. Kind of feels like everything they do is connecting Mac OS to iPad OS and iOS more than vice versa. It feels like we're giving you a transition. This is the future over here. You better get used to it because it's it's looking kind of familiar because every single announcement, we touched on this in the last episode, every single announcement made for Mac OS, it seemed like, you know, and this also works on your iPad and your iPhone, on your iPad and your iPhone. 
just to uh, just to drive that that message home. But I'm really looking forward to this. I will say, I think in the in the keynote, uh, Universal Control was the most magical thing I've seen Apple demo in quite some time. Just I, just the whole field putting the iPad next to the Mac and just you know, like you said, dragging over. You know, he said, "Here, I'm going to take this uh, this picture from Pixelmator and I'm going to drag it across the laptop to the iMac and drop it in this keynote presentation." And it was the one thing that I went and showed my wife and, and kids and was like, y'all check this out. And they were like, oh, wow, that's magical. You know, just a uh, just a true like, oh, that, that's an incredible feature. Now, it's one of those eh, in, in use. Yeah, it'll use it, it'll get used some. But um, I use a Mac at work. Uh, I do use one at home. Do I see me using that feature a lot? Honestly, I don't. Well, it uh, you know, like it, and, and to your point about the the coexisting uh, between the Mac and, and the iOS and the iPad OS, you know, one of the things that I do find myself using all the time is universal copy paste where I can copy something on my phone and paste it into the Mac. That's something that is just, it's one of those nice things that when I get home to a windows PC, I'm like, man, this is such a pain. Now I have to email it to myself or hook up something, you know, even airdrop and universal control is kind of like this next generation, mixture of airdrop and sidecar and universal copy paste that's just to me it kind of hammers home the fact that at its core apple understands this is what a mac's for and this is what a phone's for and this is what a tablet's for and we're now going to take these experiences and we're not so much going to muddy the waters so much as we're going to make it to where each of these devices plays to their strengths but we build an ecosystem where it's seamless amongst all the devices. And if you're somebody that can live an iPad-only lifestyle or all you really need is a phone, sure, we're going to make that possible. We're trying to make it to where you don't have to have a Mac and a tablet and a phone to get the full experience. But for those of you that do have all three of them, man, have we got a plan for you. And if you don't need a desktop machine like my wife, my wife saw the yellow iMac, and uh, when we went to go pick up our stuff, she loved it. And she said, you know, oh, that's great, but I don't, you know, she doesn't need a desktop anymore. It's like it just works instead of AirDrop, which is one of those things that I don't use that often. So every time I do go to use it, I'm like, okay, how did this work again? Or you're working with somebody that it has no clue what AirDrop is at all. And you're like, no, I'm just going to send it to, you know, that away. And so... It just works like your computer works or just works like your iPad works. It's not something that's a little bit new. It just just drag it over there, you know, or something like that versus AirDrop, like I said, which is I just feel like every time I go to use it, I'm like, OK, what do I have to set to, to do this? And, and how is this going to work with, you know, like with their phone or whatever, you know, so I, I don't know. I, I feel like this is just it's one of those it just works kind of things. Now, if you're referring to AirDrop on the Mac, then I totally, I totally understand, right? I mean, I get that because sometimes even now in the most recent versions of Mac OS, I have that issue. On iOS to iOS, it's a completely different thing. Like if, you know, I take pictures and my wife wants them, I can easily AirDrop them over, no issue. If I'm trying to send something to myself via AirDrop to the Mac, it, it always felt like a bolt-on, like they, they just somehow connected this to the OS, but it's not really, that's one of the, one of the problems that I have with Mac OS and the sort of continuity of features that are across all of the platforms is that iOS to iOS works great. Uh, it's Mac OS that usually has the issue when I have, you know, I'm wearing AirPods right now. And when I go to, 
uh, use my iPhone and my iPad. They can seamlessly move between them. If I'm on a phone call, it knows not to move the the thing. You know, it's it's great for what it does. If I try to introduce a Mac into the scenario, it's constantly changing from one device to the other and back again, and it disconnects frequently. And that's one of the reasons I think I'm I'm kind of anti Mac and pro iPad Pro right now is my experiences on the Mac kind of suck compared to the iPad OS experience or iOS versions of how this stuff interacts with each other. So that's why, you know, like the airdrop thing is the greatest thing since sliced bread when it comes to sending pictures. Now, if I'm trading photos with somebody and they have contacts only in their airdrop, it's perfect. You know, I don't have to go in there and tell them to turn anything on, but you know, sending something to myself is still a hassle as to whether it's not, whether or not it's going to actually work. And all of my network settings are right. All of my things are right. And you go to the troubleshooting thing on the Mac and it's like, well, turn it off and turn it on again and try this and sacrifice a chicken and whatever else you have to do. And that's exactly uh, one day. I hope that Mac OS gets to be as it just works for me as iOS is for me. And I just don't understand sometimes the Bluetooth stack in particular on Mac OS always seems like garbage compared to the one on iOS. And it's like, you guys make the entire stack on both, all of these. How is it these two rock and these over here, this one over here just randomly disconnects my AirPods pro or my AirPods max. But no, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that. This is one of those things. The more that they do this and they get more of the, you know, the get back to the, it just works. Uh, is good for me. Agreed. Yeah, it just, it just, it's a natural transition of, of that sharing of things where everything's on the same level now. So that'll be nice. Now we're going to get to my favorite and the one that you guys care probably the least about, but shortcuts on the Mac. This is, this is a game changer. And the fact that it's taken them this long to bring that over. I mean, they deprecated Automator a long time ago in Mac OS. And they, you know, they let go the people who actually were working on it. So they've had sort of a gap in this for a long time. And they finally decided to fill it. I'm a big fan of shortcuts. I'm a big fan of the automation, the stuff that you can do, all the little neat things that are probably overkill. And, you know, it makes it sort of like a Rube Goldberg, you know, Pee Wee Herman house where, you're, you know, like you have the, the, uh, the thing that kicks off this, that kicks off this, that kicks off this, that makes your breakfast. But when you can really get into that stuff, like the, my sprinklers emailing me every day to tell me whether or not they're going to run or going to skip based on the weather is kind of neat. You know, I, I love the, the home automation stuff a lot. That would drive me nuts. No, it's actually really useful. It's so cool. I feel like I have my house working for me at times when things like that happen. I even keep an old uh, second-gen iPad, like a my wife's old iPad mini from a couple years ago, a few years ago. It's plugged in in my guest bathroom down here because it was the only free outlet that was next to something that could hold it. And it just runs a push cut server constantly so I can send myself notifications at intervals. It's it's neat. I even have a, a push cut thing when I get out of my car. I used to leave my phone in my car all the time when it was plugged into AirPlay if I didn't have <laughs> it out in front of me. And I was trying to like keep the phone out of the way or if I'm not looking at it. So every time I get out of my car, I wrote this automation like, Two and a half years ago, and I, I didn't drive for the longest time because of all the stuff I've been through in the last year, and I've been driving recently. And every time I get out of the phone, I mean, get out of the car, I get that push notification like, hey, stupid, get your get your phone out of the car. Don't leave, don't forget that, you know, CarPlay just disconnected or whatever to, to remind me to pull the stuff out of there. So the bad thing about shortcuts, though, is that you had to do all of your shortcut creation on an iPad or an iPhone. Which, you know, an iPad, especially if you have an iPad Pro, is not that bad because you have a bigger screen. But now you have a lot more real estate if you want to sit there and create some really interesting workflows. You can do it and uh, have a much bigger display to play on, I suppose. 
the other thing that's nice too is that you know all tides what is it tides lift all boats or rising tides lift all boats or whatever the uh the saying goes there's a lot of things they're doing and expanding support on the mac that are also making their way to ios as a result and uh, federico vatici on twitter has been showing a lot of these these types of uh automations that they're able to accomplish now i guess there's a lot of stuff with files and folders uh that you you know you're gonna have to have that on the mac and they've just decided to bring that over onto ios and ipad os as well so it looks like they're getting better about automation they just they really need to get to the point where they can let things run unprompted that's the biggest problem even today that I have with Siri shortcuts is that you go to do something and you need confirmation. So there was a there was an automation that I had that said close my garage door if I get outside this geofence. And when I would get outside the geofence, it would go, are you sure you want to do it? It's like, well, yeah, that's kind of why I wrote it. You know, if I'm not there, close the door. Like if you wanted to open the door and you needed confirmation, I get that. That's letting someone into your house. But letting closing the door should be something that doesn't require any confirmation not letting you send text messages without you know that's something that's forbidden which you can get around with push cut and some other stuff but it's still a way bigger problem than it needs to be so i hope that eventually changes but it's not going to be an ios 15 but i'm I'm really excited for shortcuts on the mac so this is not what i was going to say but I, one of the things i bought last week on prime day was something that i could my garage door i can finally put it on the wi-fi now and open and close it so i'm excited to set that up i haven't set it up yet but um so i was going to say on on the mac side i might actually use shortcuts a little bit i'm not sure i use hazel a lot on my mac i don't know if y'all use hazel but i love hazel for moving files and um you know checking for duplicates and and i've got a, a a big hazel routine that that will automatically tag pictures or videos uh based on you know like the size like is it is this 4K? Is this uh, 1080P? That kind of thing. It uses FFmpeg to do that. And so um, I use Hazel a lot. And so I, I think, uh, and one of the reasons I do use Hazel is because I can do it on the big screen on the Mac and it's easier to kind of walk through and set all these things up. So, um, you know, maybe maybe we'll see. I, I think that it's definitely the kind of thing where if I started using shortcuts on the Mac, it would bleed over into my iOS usage for sure. Because if once I kind of started feeling my way out better um, doing things on Mac, then I would bring that over and use it more in other places. I, I, I'm more likely to start something on the Mac and then it bleed into iOS than the other way around, I guess, just with the way I do things. And I think one of the neat things about shortcuts is that I've I, I can be a shade tree programmer when I need to be, um, and I and I enjoy doing it. I just don't have a lot of time to do it. Shortcuts seems like a much 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 lower bar of entry to do a lot of this stuff and to learn to build. And like you said, with the Mac, most people who have Macs that are going to use the shortcuts, they have a Mac that's running at their house in their home network all the time or at work, and. Uh, you know, not all of us have a push cut server and on push cut servers, you know, I've, I've, Brian's talked about his, I've seen Federico Vitici and a lot of other people talk about him there. A lot of us, I don't have a spare iOS device to run in my house to use all that. Um, it's, uh, I'm not going to say that it's a kludge cause it's really not, but I, I would just like to interject really quick. The PushCut server has really low iOS requirements. It only requires iOS 12. I'm running this on an old iPad Mini 2 with the latest 
12 whatever on it, even though they're, they're still releasing security patches for 12, by the way. So you're able to run this on extremely ancient hardware. It's very low overhead. I mean, it's just passing things back and forth. It's, it's the most basic server you could you could ever want. I really wish, in, if they wanted to make this premium feature, give me the ability to do that on a, on a Raspberry Pi or something, figure out a way to make that happen. I would love that, but... You know, maybe that's not possible, but the way that it is, it has really low requirements. That old iPhone 7 you mentioned a, a while back would be more than sufficient. Uh, I just want to say also, too, there was, I'm going to put a link in the show notes today. I tweeted this a little while ago. There was a live stream uh, by a guy named Doc Rock, who works for the Ecamm community, and he had Rosemary Orchard, who I think may have been on the Shortcuts team at, at Apple. I'm not sure, but she went through an entire two or three hour thing on on his show today. She got into and she gave practical examples of things you could do with Toolbox Pro, with Push Cut, with Shortcuts. I went out and bought her book. It was like twelve bucks uh, on getting started with iOS shortcuts. But it's really helpful to be able to do this stuff if you see people using it in practical ways. So, like if you're if you're sort of on the fence, go look at some of the stuff, the videos that Matthew Casanelli has, or you know Rosemary Orchard has, or any of these folks that that were on that team. They will show you things that are kind of neat. You know, uh, I think Matthew Casanelli, I'm a subscriber to his site, and one of the ones that he has is like, you know, one that he runs when he gets home where it like sets the lights and it does this and it sets the temperature and, and you know, opens the curtains. That's a level that I haven't gotten to yet just because my, you know, being married, you're sort of, you have some limitations on what the other person who lives in the house will let you automate. Like all of my blinds and stuff will be automated for up to me, but somebody doesn't want to get rid of plantation shutters, you know, so, uh, you get where I'm coming from. So it's one of those things where you have to just be cognizant and, and automate as much as you can. But there's a lot of stuff that you can do that's kind of neat. I know it, there's not as many pre-built things that you can do, like, you know, with uh, with the Amazon competition. But it's also not designed just to be like, I want to play games in the car. This is like stuff you can do to... It's it's To me, it's really powerful what they've, they've allowed this to do. So you may want to check that out if you have a chance. Again, a lot of it is just a time stays. Seems like it stays so limited at this point. I hate to. I have. I've just not invested the time. Just like we've been talking about Inno Reader, which we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about in the future. That I've still need to devote about two hours to try to get down and get set up on a trial with. One of the other things that is uh, still kind of talking about Monterey is the focus feature, which is uh, I think what was the name of the app y'all said Noom or something like that. Uh, Noom or Moom or something. That's a Noom is a diet app, and I think Moom is the one that they were referring to. Okay, Moom. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, Noom, that's right. Noom is the diet app. My wife's doing that. Regardless, um, what you can see with focus and shortcuts is kind of like what I was referring to earlier with universal control in a way is that it's kind of like Apple going, OK, we've given you the shortcuts and we've given you, you know, at a, at an Apple script level, the ability to do this. All right. Now we're going to set it up to where you can have full control over that. I know a lot of the podcasters that are running the beta have said they're making a focus podcast shortcut for lack of a better term but a mood where say like with us we record on skype we use audio hijack you know it'll pull up you can just click on focus and then bam it closes all your other apps it gets you to a specific area where all of the stuff is set up and it's stuff that you're doing place some people are doing with like keyboard maestro or toolbox pro and things like that that you've talked about but uh this gives you one that you can use you know that you can just click it and then there it is Jim, this will be right up your alley. You can just you can just yell at uh, yell at your HomePod or something to do it. All of a sudden, it'll open Audio Hijack. It'll open Skype. It'll open you know Notes and go right to our folder. That's I mean that's what I'm going to do. I, I don't know about you guys, but yeah, 
<laughs> we're going to get you a robot that I can actually set up your mic and have it ready. If I could only find my mic stand for me that I know I bought. <laughs> you bought 85 things on Prime Day is the problem, and it's probably still in a box somewhere. I'm afraid that that happened because I just, I threw out a, today was trash day and I brought out a whole lot of boxes from Prime Day and I'm just worried about what might have been in those boxes now. So something that should have been in Mac OS all along, I guess, and it should have been in iOS, I suppose, is the, uh, the system-wide translation. So Apple has always been good about supporting multiple languages out of the, out of the, uh, what do they call them? The Fang companies, Facebook, Amazon, Apple, who are the rest of them? Google and who's the N? Netscape. Netflix. Netflix. <laughs> Did you say NetApp? I said Netscape. <laughs> oh, okay. That's even worse. No, uh, out of all those companies, Apple has probably been the best about supporting multiple languages sooner than, uh, than uh, other companies. Also, they're usually the first to be in multiple countries at once at launch or something. So it's kind of surprising that the, uh, the translation they introduced last year is now going to be system-wide. I, I sort of expected, well, I guess... It's not really surprising. I suppose we've been expecting them to do something like that for a while, but it just seems, given their support in the past, that you would have uh, you would have seen that in there. And the uh, the last thing that seemed kind of obvious was the AirPlay to Mac. I've I've wondered since the day AirPlay premiered that you couldn't send this to a Mac. It was I. It just defies explanation that you could send it to an Apple TV. Because we've had AirPlay since, what, 2010? Something like that. I remember trying to make HBO Go work for it long before there was an Apple TV app, and they purposely disabled it way back when. And that's, you know, more than a decade ago. And in this entire 11 years, we've never had AirPlay to the Mac? I mean, I don't see myself using it, but the the time would have been cool to actually have that at some point. I mean, do you guys see yourself using for Air, AirPlay to the Mac? Maybe if somebody sends me a video or something and you want to watch it on the bigger screen, I mean, I'd do it to my Apple TV and watch it on the big screen. But I guess if I wanted to do it to my Mac and watch it on the Mac screen, you could do that now, maybe? I I think that's that would allow that, right? Yep. It's a feature that I have no doubt a lot of people are going to use. Uh, I'm, I'm sure it'll be big with college kids. Uh, you know, if you've got a... You've got a MacBook Air and an iPhone, and you don't have an iPad. Sure, you could AirPlay to your MacBook Air, and it might be a little bigger screen. It's something that I would not have a use case for, but kind of like uh, w- with the theme of consolidation amongst platforms, it's one of those. Sure, let's just go ahead and throw it in because it will be useful to somebody. It's, it's just not a feature for me. Maybe you've got big speakers plugged into your Mac or you know your Mac desktop, and you want to you know, just play that. I don't know. It just seems useful to me where you would say to your friend, hey, check this out. And, and, you know, instead of them texting you the video link or whatever for you to watch it, they just airplay it to your Mac or whatever, you know, your your computer screen that's sitting in front of you. They can use SharePlay for that, though, Brad, in iOS 15. I'm being a dick. Okay, so... uh the reason I had pointed that out, it should have been in there forever, though. It seems like there was a window for this where this would have been needed or really more useful than it is now. And now they are so prolific. And with the other things that they've already introduced, like SharePlay, it just seems like I'm glad they're doing it, I guess. But I don't I don't get excited about it just because it seems now it's almost an obsolete feature compared with everything else they, they allow you to do. Especially with the SharePlay stuff that's coming out. Real quick, I just wanted to... So, Brad, you mentioned that... um. It took a while to install. I mean, since you got that installed, is everything seemed to be, you know, generally as peppy, you know, as far as booting up or, you know, shutting down, you know, everything working more normal after the install or with, yeah. Yeah, it's it's just okay. like any other 
um, Mac OS installation as far as after the fact. I mean, it, it runs and boots just like it did, you know, before I put Monterey on it. And it runs and boots just like it did, you know, before I put Big Sur okay. on it. Um, it, I guess maybe it was just that beta installer or something, but, you know, usually going from one version to the next, it might take an hour and this one took three or four. So it just, I was constantly going over and tapping on the key, one of the keys to just to make sure I haven't, you know, broken my laptop or something. So let's talk really quickly about watchOS 8. So there wasn't a lot of change in watchOS 8, not uh, not like I hoped there would be. I mean, we have, you know, support for multiple timers now. I guess you can do uh, portraits on watch faces and always on works with more apps. So I guess that's nice. But I don't know. I was really kind of underwhelmed at how it looked. I mean, there there was not really a lot that was introduced there. And this isn't a device that doesn't have much in the way of user acceptance, right? This is something that's the most widely used wearable device on the uh, on the planet right now. Uh, they also have new bands, I guess, and watch faces that match flags that have uh, have been released. I don't know. That just got announced today on the 29th. But I'm just kind of underwhelmed by everything that I saw as part of this uh, as part of this release. I, and there's rumors that there's going to be better battery life for the Series Seven. You know, that's what we keep hearing. And too bad Jason's not here because I know he likes to, to rail on this. But I've been doing some some studies, right? I mean, used to, <laughs> prior to July 27th of last year, I did a lot of exercising and working out. So I got, you know, plenty of use out of the, the watch in a normal day. Now I've slowed things down just quite a bit. And I wanted to see what I could do to make my battery last, see how long it lasts on average. And the always on is the thing that's really kills the battery. That's what I've noticed more than anything. If I turn that off, then I can get a day and a half usage normal out of the watch, no problem. And sometimes, like if I go to sleep at night and I want to leave it on for the alarm feature so I don't wake up my wife with the alarm, I can put it in airplane mode and I can put it in theater mode and it'll it'll last. It'll only lose like 3 or 4% overnight. It's wonderful. So that's a little tip from me to you if you want to wear your watch overnight and you don't need a network connection to do something, it's uh, it's perfect. But the the battery life is the thing that probably could stand to to improve, especially if you're going to allow more things, more apps to have access to the always on. You're going to need something for better battery life. I don't think when it comes to like, you know, when Jason's on here and he talks about, you know, I want it to last 10 days without a charge like my Garmin. But, yeah, your Garmin's the size of a hubcap. Like, it's huge. You know, it's it's just one of those things where there's the technology's just not there yet at the size that you want it to be. Like I couldn't wear that with a with anything and make it look not sort of draw a lot of attention to it. I guess like a hubcap. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so I'm really hoping that's that's what I hope to see out of it. But I use my Apple Watch all the time. I'm one of the things they didn't mention, which I'm assuming is a probably not going to happen. But with Siri being on device for the iPhone, I'm kind of hoping that it's on the watch. Uh, as well, but you know, no way to know until that happens. The uh, the one thing that I did see that really sort of got me amped was the ability to use the keyboard on the, use a keyboard on the watch with dictation. It looks like so. If anyone's ever had to use dictation on the watch, it gets most things right. But what irritates me is that I'll I'll dictate something and ninety five percent of it will be right, and it'll get it wrong right at the very end. 
of something else, you know, that one last word in the sentence. And it's like, I just, if I could just correct that one word, we'd be cool. You know, it'd be fine. And for a device that doesn't really rely on a keyboard, you've got to have that voice translation be almost pitch perfect. I do find that when I have my AirPods in, that it works a lot better. I, most of the time I walk around the house and I keep my AirPods in. And that way, if I get a call and it like, you know, if it asks if I want to answer it, if I want to send a text verbally and, and do it that way, it usually gets everything right. Having it read off the text, those are wonderful features and it works pretty well. But even if I have my mouth right on it, I have to, I have to pretend like I'm Kelsey Grammer on Fraser or something and enunciate in a very specific and good manner for it to pick up the, the words that I am speaking. So it's, it's very, very finicky and unreliable in that respect. I mean, it's mostly reliable. I look at me complaining, but I really want that aspect of it to get a lot better. The dictation, I've not, uh, the only time I really try to use dictation is with the drafts app when I'm driving and I'll do a quick note to try to, oh, I need to remember this. And I've actually, I've had really good luck with that. I'll be brutally honest. I would not use the dict, I don't, when I have to respond to a text on messages with there, I'll just use a, a general okay or a thumbs up or I may scribble something real quick. I'll, I'm not, a, I don't mind the scribble. Back to your point about the watch battery life, I've got a Series 4. It does not have the always-on, and I'll sleep with it at night, and even if I pull it off the charger at 7 a.m., when I get up the next morning at 6, 6.30, whenever, I'll still have probably a good 30 40% battery life. Um, there have been days that I've not had a chance to recharge, and I'll have a, the, I won't really hit 10% until late afternoon, early evening. It'll really do a good job with it. I'm, I agree with you. I think the problem is, number one, to me, and I'm, again, I'm unique. I'm not Joe Average. I'm not, you know, consumer shopper. I'm, I'm weird. I don't know how much more the watch needs to do. Uh, I'm not saying, you know, stop innovation. It's perfect right now. It's obviously not. But I don't know what else the watch needs. The main thing I can see the watch needing really is a blue gluco a blood glucose monitor. It really needs that, and that's kind of the thing I think they're waiting for. That would be the, oh, my God, everybody's going to write an upgrade. Kind of like uh, you, you said with the battery, yeah, you can make it into a hubcap and get plenty of days of battery. But they're, they're just kind of in this weird juggle of performance and screen size and battery, and it's just something's going to have to sacrifice with that. Okay, so I definitely have something to say on that topic. You know, obviously they're focused on the health features, and that's really the selling point. This is really a first, a health device first thing. You know, when they first marketed it, they wanted it to be like a little mini iPhone. It clearly wasn't ready for that, when they, especially when they released it initially. People loved it for fitness or the health aspect, so they just sort of rolled with it and, you know, went. And one of these days, <laughs> I plan on using Fitness Plus because, you know, that's a great aspect of it, right? They've, they've really put a lot of effort into that. Where it needs to get better is the same way, and we'll get into this in a minute for the HomePod, it's the same thing that the HomePod needs. The primary interface that you use to do things on this watch is through Siri. So Siri has to be rock solid for this thing to work, and that's that's where it's going wrong. That's the, the problem for it. If you're having to depend, you can't really use a keyboard. I don't know about you guys, but I abandoned the honeycomb for the apps a long time ago, and everything is a list. And occasionally I'll open up my home alarm app and I'll, I'll uh, arm my alarm or disarm my alarm using my watch. You know, I open the garage door and close it back when that was working. I still need to fix that again. 
you know, there's plenty of things where I use apps and I use functionality. You know, when somebody rings my doorbell, their picture pops up on the, on the watch. I can talk to them through the watch. That's the nice part of the, the HomeKit integration with your doorbell is you can do all of that from the watch. And as long as you don't have five Apple TVs bringing up the, the doorbell feed at the same time, that actually works pretty well, I found. So it's not that it's, there's nothing else to do on it. It's, you know, I know we, we joke with Jim where he only uses his to tell time, but I, I don't think that he's unusual in that regard. I think a lot of people do it for that very reason because the app experience sucks. The companies that have bothered to write native apps for the watch are actually pretty good. You know, if you do something on the watch where there's a native app, it's pretty sweet. Where it kind of uh, where it kind of falls down is apps like Telegram, where it requires a Bluetooth connection back, and it's just using the iOS app. So, like when I see that I get a new message on Telegram and I go to click to open it, it it takes forever if it works at all. And that's like a that's like the first gen Apple Watch type of app. I don't think they've ever bothered to improve it. It doesn't feel like it. However, if I open something like I don't know, even the Spotify app is better on the Apple watch than you would expect, right? You can open it up. You can actually listen. Now you can download to the watch. It took them a long time, but it actually became usable. One password on the watch of getting the, the one-time passcodes. you know, it's not going to do everything that a full fledged app would do, but it's capable of doing far more. And there's tons of storage on that thing that nobody's utilizing, right? Those watches have what? 16 gigs, 32, something like that. Like it's, it's not insignificant, especially on the higher end models. They have more for some reason, you know, Stack more apps on these things. I want to see developers actually write stuff for this, you know, but I think they're going to have to be able to depend on voice as a interface to be able to do that. It is neat. You have to admit it is neat. If you want to give yourself a reminder and you don't have your AirPods in, you can just raise your wrist to your face. You don't even have to invoke Siri and just start talking. This morning, my wife was leaving for work and she's like, could you check on the towels in the dryer in a couple hours and make sure they're dry? I raise my hand. I say, remind me to check on the towels in two hours and it's done and it happens and I get an alert and it's wonderful. So I don't really, I don't really think that there's not much left to do. I think if they could ever get the voice interface for this stuff and let third-party developers use it as much as Apple has, you know, the ability to use it, it would be a great device. It would be transformational. They would sell ten times more than what they've already sold, and it wouldn't just have to be focused fitness, fitness focused. Sorry, it wouldn't have to just be fitness focused. It would actually be an everyday great device. And there's no reason they can't get voice recognition working better. My AirPods Max have nine microphones in them. It's like, there's no problem hearing me. That isn't the problem. Get your AI fixed. You have these great chips that can do machine learning and all this neural network on device. Make your voice recognition work better. And it's not Siri for that. It's voice recognition. So. So you you touched on it right there at the end. They've sold a lot of watches. I mean, if you pay attention when you're out in public, you see a lot of Apple watches. I mean, it's crazy. And they've done it almost solely based on fitness because there are so few people that don't do anything, but tell the time and tell how many steps they walked or check their heart rate because it's fun to do. Or, you know, I've got the weather on mine to where I can see, you know, in two hours, is it going to be raining? You know, that's, I've got that front and center on my, you know, the middle of my screen. Um, so yeah, they've they've literally just on top of activity on those activity rings, they've sold as many watches as they as they have, and there's still not people making more robust apps for it, which is kind of shocking because I mean it's like one of those if you build it they will come. Well, that would happen with the iPhone, and now the proliferation of apps is 
nuts for the iPhone, but it still just hadn't hit that small screen yet for the watch. And then that's kind of interesting. I don't necessarily know why. Um, so, you know, it'll, it'll be interesting to see what more people can do with it. And then back to what you and Josh were talking about. I have a hard time with Siri just picking up when I say, Hey lady, like it just, I'll say it three times and it won't pick up. And I don't know. I think it's because like (laughs) my voice starts like deep in the morning when I wake up and it just progressively gets higher as the day goes on. And so it's like by the end of the day, it works fine. But in the morning, it just doesn't recognize me. And I, you know, and I think it's trying to recognize you. Whereas Amazon devices, they don't really care who's saying the words. They just answer. And I think on Apple devices, it's literally trying to tell, is this you saying this? If you turn off personal requests, then that won't happen. So that's really what's the only reason that it tries to distinguish between the users, I I think, honestly. So if you turn that off, it's fine. I've noticed on the HomePod since I enabled a request and it finally differentiated between me and my wife for the longest time it would always i would ask the home pod who am i and it would say you're brian my wife would ask and it would go i don't know you <laughs> so for the longest time it would just do that over and over and over and i went through the setup process at some point it just started working so now when i'm like uh you know hey what's the weather the weather is brian and then it will go or brian the weather is and then it does it you know that i can't remember though if it does it in the front end or the back end but it does you know, answer and, and give who the, who the person is. So you can turn that off. So it'll, it doesn't really matter. It won't read out your texts and it won't let you do calendar stuff. I think if you do that, but if that's not a big deal to you, then turn that off and it won't. Uh, and you can tell in the home app, I think it's the home app where you can tell it to not do that or to not, um, not differentiate between people. If you, if it doesn't matter to you. Good tip. Jim, my wife has the same problem with both Siri and our echoes in the house. We have a big echo in our kitchen and she will address it. And it's as if she never said anything. And I will say the exact same thing right behind her. And it responds and does the thing that it's been told to do. And it's, it, she has the same experience with Siri. So I'm not going to say you're, you're definitely not alone in okay. your, uh, your experience. It's not just my twang. And and it's not just the Apple devices because it you know with her it's the Amazon devices too, and I, I don't know why. I mean, because she can say it as loudly and as clearly as I would, and it, it just it perks. It's like it just perks right up when I say it, and it's just as if she had said nothing. <laughs> it's her husband. No, I'm kidding. Sorry. <laughs> uh, let's see. So moving on to Home OS. We have the uh, HomePod minis that can now be stereo paired with an Apple TV 4K. Uh, I did buy my second uh, HomePod mini the last couple of weeks. I guess uh, Simply Mac had a sale and they were down to 79 a piece. And it was like, eh, for that price, I can pick up another one. You know, 99 is like, eh, do I really need it? 79, there's one in my guest room now. And I paired it with an Apple charger. There's a little thing I got off Amazon. So I have a, a stand for the HomePod mini that has an Apple charger built into it. So everything I've, there are times that I'm staying on the main floor, depending on number of factors. And, uh, I have a little AirPod charger. I have a little uh, Qi charger that's right by the bed. I should get another. I have a spare MagSafe. I should get Jim's little third stand and put that in the, the guest bedroom. And then uh, then I have the, uh, the Apple Watch charger on the uh, HomePod Mini. 
but I could see myself actually stealing the other HomePod Mini out of the, the formal living room and moving it in and making a stereo pair on the uh, Apple TV just to see what that's like. But overall, I, I I don't know. The HomePods, the regular HomePods made a pretty cool stereo sound system. The HomePod Minis just don't put out that well. I don't see myself ever wanting to do that. Maybe if they ever make a successor to the HomePod, if they quit, would quit being scared of that and bring it back. Than I would, but this doesn't really impress me. Uh, keys. So NFC keys, which were first introduced, I think, in iOS 13, and I know from a car perspective, it was only it was only BMW that supported that before. Josh, you're in the car business. Is there is there any plans that you've heard of supporting uh, you know iOS with keys? Uh, not in any of the uh, franchises that I'm familiar with. And doing research, I'm sure other places are looking at it, but. Uh, for right now, it looks like it is still just BMW and nobody, no other major manufacturers that are talking about supporting it. That's a shame because it's such a neat feature. I really wish. I mean, it took a long time for CarPlay to get the acceptance that it did too, from the time they introduced that. So, but this has been out for a couple of releases. And you would figure. I think this is a third release that that this will have been available. So I'm kind of surprised that they uh, they don't have this in more vehicles. But again, a lot of times cars are planned years in advance, and it can take a while for that technology to show up. So that's that was why you still found the iPod, the old 30-pin iPod in so many cars. I bought my car in 2014, and it still had an iPod connector, and iPods hadn't been a thing. Lightning cables had been out for two years at that point, and iPods really hadn't been a thing in a long time. Well, like you said, cars are not only planned way in advance, but... Uh technology in cars uh, moves at a snail's pace and they are some of the last places to ever get in the trends i don't know that there are any car manufacturers right now that have usb-c ports you're probably not going to see usb-c port chargers in a car until 2024 2025 no they're usb-c and a lot of chargers now i've been shopping lately and there's there's a whole lot of brands that have usb-c plugs in them now well, that's neat. Which which brands have you seen them in there with? All the high end ones I've been looking at. All the expensive cars. <laughs> well, there you go. They all come with. Uh, they all have uh, charge pads and USB C chargers. So cars are coming with the charge pads now and like a USB C plug. The charge pad in a car is a very neat feature. Uh, Hope's last Camry had that. My problem is that with the you've got to have it just so so and. Uh, unless you keep the car very still, my phone kept sliding off of the spot. It's It's got to fit it just right for that to work right. And I'm sure it's just slow as hell. Yeah, it's... It's it's a trickle, if anything. It is. It's the old school, first-gen trickle Qi charger. I just want a car that does wireless CarPlay. That's all I want. <laughs> Tell me about it. Thank you. Yeah. But I, I, to, to that point, I think I've talked about this on the podcast before. Uh, years ago, Toyota had their Intune technology. And Intune, when it first came out and it was first announced, was really, really cool. It was also before Apple had started anything Apple CarPlay. It was before Android Auto or any of that stuff. And basically, it said, you know what? We're going to put apps into the entertainment, into the infotainment system, and your phone's going to be the smart, the CPU, so to speak, that powers all of it. The problem is that they're still pushing Intune. They had six apps, OpenTable, I don't even, I think Pandora was there, Spotify was not. And they always, you know, here's the first six apps with more apps to come, and there were never any other apps that came out on it. And by the time they started doing anything with Intune and they brought it to all of their cars, CarPlay and Android Auto was a thing. Well, it's taken 
Toyota didn't have full support for those until 2019, and they even have some refreshes that are just now getting CarPlay and Android Auto support. So a lot of that stuff, it can take years and years for it, much less with the keys. Uh, With Apple being involved, I have no doubt it's a secure system. But, uh, you know, again, car ignition, unlocking your car and starting your car with somebody else's phone, that's very, very critical. That's one of those things like you talked about with the voice dictation. You can't get that 95% right. You really can't even get that 99% right. You have got to get that 100% right 100% of the time. You have to. Uh, It was funny that you mentioned Intune. Because my buddy, I remember when he got a brand new Lexus in 2015, I want to say. And that was brand new. And I remember Open Table and Pandora and all of those things that were in there. And I never heard hide nor hair of that ever since. Like, it was just one of those things that just kind of went away. And I know that cars wanted to add apps, but why would you when most people want to plug in their phone? Most people, it just makes sense to do it that way. But no, it's it just kind of it brought me back there. Well, and, and like you said, people do want the apps on that, but it comes in the by the time they got the technology out there, it was very fast after that that you saw CarPlay and Android Auto appear. And at that point, it just again cars move at such a snail's pace. Uh, you know, you think about iOS updates. Nobody wants to think about having to update the OS in your car. They don't want to even think about it. Unless you're Tesla. Unless you're Tesla, but that's a different conversation. So let's see some of the other improvements we're getting in home OS. One that actually will impact me is the home kit camera restriction has been lifted in iOS or home OS, whatever the, I guess it's going to be home OS 15 since they keep lockstep with iOS now. And that's, I mean, I have seven of these, uh, UFI, whatever cameras that work with network with home kit. And I have one of the cameras that can't record. That's the one I think just points directly down the hallway, just having it so that it, you know, my wife the other day, when she was leaving was like, you know, I dropped something. I dropped a coupon that I was going to use at the store and I can't find it. So I went back to the security cameras, like here's you in the kitchen. Here's you here. And the place that she might have dropped it would have been near the front door. And that's the one that's streaming only. It's like crap, you know, if, if, but uh, now they've got that fixed and I can put up all of my cameras. I can even add more cameras, all the recording, all of the recording. And uh, it's going to be, it's going to be nice. So that, that really made me happy. Uh, let's see. Multi-user voice recognition on the HomePod Mini. HomePod. HomePod Mini is going to be a thing. And uh, I didn't know it wasn't, honestly, because I just yell across the house and whichever one answers, answers, whether it's one of the HomePod OGs or the uh, HomePod Mini. I have not a clue. As long as the thing gets done, I, I really don't care. But I didn't realize they couldn't do multi-user before the, uh, the, con- the, uh, the keynote. Uh, let's see. So the other thing that they're going to be supporting that's kind of interesting is the matter standard for devices. So matter is one of those things where Google, Amazon, and Apple are all in this space. None of their stuff works together. I'm not really, I don't really think anything's going to come of this. I mean, I know they'll support it, but it's going to take, anytime you have a consortium of a whole bunch of big companies that are all alpha dogs, that all want to do things their way with no consideration to how other people do them, what you're going to get is a lowest common denominator type protocol. Turn things on, turn things off, et cetera, et cetera. So it kind of makes me wonder, you know, if, oh, it supports matter. I can use Jim's blink cameras or whatever. Oh, wait, now, you know, it doesn't do this or that because this was very Amazon specific or this was very Apple specific and there's no corresponding thing you can do on the other side. That's what kind of worries me about that. But anything that, that, that takes the home automation and makes it more popular. I'm, I'm all about. 
And I, I'm kind of excited in that respect, but I always try to buy HomeKit stuff now if I possibly can, and I don't see that changing anytime soon, but I always think that's going to probably work better than the Matter stuff anyhow. But I guess it's it's something. They named it that because it doesn't matter. You're probably right. I was just going to say it's like the um, the HD DVD and Blu-ray thing that happened, you know, back in the, what, mid-2000s or whatever that was, the 2010s. Well, I don't feel like it's kind of a format war because there hasn't been a clear loser in that in that space, I don't think. I think it's still very immature because each one of the vendors still has their own respective problems. So with Apple's side, it's the problem is there's fewer devices that support HomeKit than there do than there than there are Amazon or uh or uh who else is in that space? Google. Oh, Google. Duh. Google. <laughs> then Amazon or Google. And Google, with the whole Nest thing, I think they sort of bungled that acquisition. And a lot of the people that were excited about Nest as a brand sort of just gave up on it when uh, when Google acquired it because they bungled it so bad. So I guess Amazon's probably the one with the most just because their devices are cheaper and there's a lot of pre-made integrations for them. So I suppose they have that going for them. But it's still a space where not a lot of people do this. Whenever I do like an informal survey of people, hey, you got anything in your house automated or anything like that, you know, when I'm bored in the hospital mostly. Uh, I never run across people that are like that. Even in my everyday life of talking to other people, uh, I just never really run into that all that often of, you know, particularly to the degree that I'm not. And if they have like a ring camera, you know, they're doing pretty good to even have their doorbell, you know, connected so they can do stuff like that. So it's, there's still a lot of room for somebody to dominate the space more than what they're doing now. I think Amazon with their whole privacy issues, like, you know, I'm going to share your internet with your neighbors and not tell you, you have to opt out. That's, that's ridiculous, by the way. I just, that still gets me. I'm going to share all of your photos and videos from your doorbell with the cops and they're going to be uh, salespeople for ring and go push them and get commission. You know, that's, ugh, it's just so dirty. So, you know, Apple being privacy based, I think they can make a bigger push. And if something is matter supported and it's good enough and they can get it in their house, I guess that's a start. Well, I, like you said, I, I think it's less a format war and more of a who needs this worse. Um, pulling a video game analogy in back in the PlayStation 3, Xbox 360 days and even into Xbox One and PS4, you had games like Fortnite that were cross platform. But everything was walled garden. Sony played with Sony, Microsoft played with Microsoft, and Pat Nintendo on the head. And it was one of those where Psionics, the Rocket League people, and Epic both kind of showed, oh no, we have cross-platform working, it's not difficult, it's just they won't let us do it. Well, at the time, Microsoft was number two. They were losing. They needed cross-platform worse than Sony did. So Microsoft immediately jumped. Oh, we're all for cross-platform. Here, we're for it. We're going to do this in PC and everything. Nintendo jumped on and said, yeah, sure, we'll do it. And Sony said, well, we have the market share. We don't need it, so we hate it. Now, when it went into the next generation and all of a sudden Sony's behind, Sony's like, whoa, 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 we're, we're I don't know, no, you ask us again. We would love to do cross-platform because they needed it. Amazon, I would say, in my opinion, is the number one leader in home automation tech. If you go and find anything home automation, there's a 99% chance it will work with the with the Amazon Lady in a Can system. Um, most of them will also work with Google, and very few work with Apple. Apple needs an open standard. 
Well, it, with HomeKit, yes. I mean, it's true. most of your stuff, if you go look on Amazon and you look at just, you look up home automation, you look up light bulbs, okay? How many of those light bulbs, the vast majority of them will tell you it works with Amazon Lady and it can, it works with Google Lady and it can, and mentions nothing about HomeKit. Most of the time, though, that's because if you're filtering by low to high, that's the way it's going to be. So if you, if you get something that's name brand, if you buy Philips Hue, Philips Hue is going to support everything. Philips Hue is like the gold standard. Like they, they support those types of things. I can tell you as somebody who's, who buys a lot of home kit stuff, it's not, it's not quite as dire as it used to be. Thermostats, for example, is a great example, right? The Ecobees, they are low cost as all get out. They have supported, you know, Amazon, Google, and well, they supported Amazon and HomeKit out of the gate. I think Google came a little bit later, if I'm not mistaken, never mattered to me. So I didn't care. But they supported Amazon and HomeKit like day one, you know. They're a, low, a good low-cost example of, of one that does it. I've bought tons of lower-end, you know, I bought some Bluetooth-enabled accessories that weren't very high cost at all that supported HomeKit from day one. You know, I mean, it's not it's not like it used to be where they had the sort of, used to you had that certified chip that had to be in there for every device and, you know, Apple had to approve everything. They made that process a lot easier. So it actually did become a lot easier. It's not as it's not nearly as dire as it used to be. I will agree that Amazon dominates that market just because they don't care. It's just any device can support it with no problem. But when it comes to, you know, there's still a certification progress, I mean, a certification process for HomeKit, but it's not as bad as it used to be. So it's it's uh, it's much better than it was. And I agree with that. And it's also one of those, like Jim said, if I go with a high-end vehicle, then I can most definitely have a, uh, I can get USB-C charging ports. You know, if I go high to low, sure, the high-end vehicles, I have all these features. But, like, I, I still have to go hunting for HomeKit stuff. And if I want to pay $30 for a light bulb, sure, I can Talk get to your boy. light bulbs. I, well, and I'll I let you know when the sales are happening. Even with the sale, it doesn't matter about a sale with a lot of that stuff. And, and it doesn't matter about Prime Day. It's like with the Eufy cameras. Yes, before this, I could find HomeKit secure video cameras, but I couldn't find them for 40 or $50 a piece. They were 200 plus a piece. Um, I can find out, you know, you can find something for a niche, but there's going to be one, maybe two of the products that are there, and you're going to pay a premium for that product. Yes, I understand you get what you pay for, but at talking about the home automation, what you just talked about, how many of these people look at a doorbell cam? Oh, I'd love to have a doorbell cam if you talk to Joe Average on the street, but they don't want to think about the installation. They don't want to think about how much it costs, and they go, oh, man, $400 to get a doorbell cam and have it put in, and they got a fiddle. No, I'm not going to mess with that. The Eufy cameras, it's $40. Really, it's that cheap? There's nothing to install. You click it here, go with HomeKit, and it's done. Oh, well, that's easy enough. That's the kind of stuff that, to me, Apple needs to be focusing on they need to find the key home automation points and either make the daggum thing themselves hello airport or go back to you know find a eufy or find a third party and go look we will subsidize these devices for you they've got the money in the bank why not do it well it's important to note that apple doesn't make any of the home kit devices right so they don't make any of those that are out there not a single one except if you're counting like ipads and uh, Apple TVs as HomeKit hubs, but they don't manufacture anything. So they do count on that third-party ecosystem very, very heavily. And as I say, not everything that comes out is for a premium, but there is a reason that you really want to stick with HomeKit. We'll use those uh, Ufi or Ufi cameras as an example. Uh, just a month or two ago, there was a big problem where 
people could see other people's camera feeds. Well, you know where that didn't happen? If you, inside that camera, for those of you who've never bought one, you can either use their standard interface that they provide, or you can go in and enable HomeKit. If you enable HomeKit, it has to be managed through the Home app. All of their features get turned off, including the 2K. It bumps it down to 1080p, which is the max that HomeKit supports for some reason. Once you do that, it's not even like it's their camera anymore. I've done that on all of mine. When they had the uh, when they had the big security breach and people were able to see their feeds, it didn't happen on the ones that were managed by HomeKit. It was the one running their native software. If you're going to have cameras in your home, if you're going to have these things that could potentially compromise your privacy, you really need to think about whether or not you want to save 10 bucks on that light bulb and have it turned off from halfway around the world or whatever. Particularly with cameras and other listening devices, you want something that's sort of privacy first, I would think. I mean, that... To me, that's really the selling point. I mean, I, I had an Echo Dot back in the day. I used to set up both of my stuff in Amazon, and I set it up in Apple. And it was kind of like, well, wait a minute. You know, one is making money off of me with me giving the money. The other one is going to monetize every single thing that I do. They Therefore, they have this incentive to be listening more and to be a little more creepy. Not to mention the fact that if third parties are making it, which most of the time they are, you know, you could have things compromised that you just don't want compromised. So privacy is really key. That To me, that's what's worth it. I don't want to have to worry about my Internet of Things. I don't want to have to segment things off on separate VLANs. Now, I know there are people who do it anyway, and I understand that. That also will tend to muck with your ability to do AirPlay or have, you know, other devices on the same network be able to do things. Like iCloud is very particular about everything being on the same network. And yeah, you can forward the protocol, but then again, if you're going to do separate VLANs and you're going to forward traffic across, you might as well be on the same VLAN. I mean, it's either they're they're isolated or they're bridged. It doesn't matter if you open a single protocol or every protocol. I mean, a hole's a hole. And right now, in you've, just in talking about that, you've taken out 99.9% of the entire customer base for this kind of stuff. I agree with everything you just said. Privacy is important. So, all right, tell your mama how to set up a VLAN, how to put a, how to put it something on a separate. No, that, VLAN. that's what I'm saying. If you buy Apple stuff, you don't have to worry about that crap. Oh, you can actually right. do it with a little bit of peace of mind. That's where the extra comes in. If I'm going to buy the, and, and honestly, the prices aren't that different anymore like they used to be. You go out and look at the wired uh, ring camera versus the wired Logitech camera. They're both two hundred dollars a piece. The only difference is one is not going to go and share your internet with your neighbors without asking you and have cops get access to your footage without talking to you. And the other one uh, is the one that supported by Apple. So, I mean, no, I'm just kidding. That was, uh, I got that completely backwards in my joke. Your privacy is very important and one of them prioritizes it and the other one doesn't. And they're the same price. It's just some people have that name recognition of ring and that's why I want it. It's called the Apple tax for a reason. I, they don't care that their stuff costs a little more money or the stuff, you know, to play in their, you know, the end of the pool. It, it just, it just costs a little bit more money. And then so far it, it hadn't hurt them for sure. I mean, they're, you know, a $2 billion market cap, right? I mean, they're, they're doing just fine. So I, you know, I, I, I can't, I don't blame them for, you know, basically they can walk that super tight line of, you know, we're going to hold privacy to, you know, a standard that nobody else does because quite frankly, they don't need the advertising revenue. So, you know, they, they don't, they don't have to do it. And so, yeah. Well, that's, that's also what I was going to say there too, is just remember these apps. I mean, these uh, devices that you're buying are all third-party apps. So Apple doesn't make these. These are all Logitech or these are all, 
you know, whatever third party that, that wants to support it. And once you were able to go with a software certification over the hardware, you don't have to do the chip anymore. It made it much easier. That's why I think if, if you go, it's, there's this perception that this stuff is, oh, it's crazy expensive compared to the Amazon. So I'm going to go Amazon. It's not always the case. Do your, do your digging on some of these things and you will be surprised by the number of ones that support HomeKit. I know the, they're the, um, gosh, I can't remember the, uh, the light bulbs that support thread that just came out not too long ago. They weren't hue and because they're thread, they're Bluetooth enabled, which I'm not a big fan of. Yes. I know the ones you're talking about. Cause I looked at those and the name is escaping yeah. me. But they were not, I'll have the link in the show notes. I'm sure it'll come to me the moment I hit stop on the recording. But those are not expensive. And you're able to actually use those with HomeKit. I'm telling you, it's not what it used to be. There's this bias that everything that has the Apple logo on it or supports Apple has got to be higher. A lot of these accessories are not higher. Now, granted, there are a number that still are. If you get anything with the Lutron Caseta brand, which is fantastic, but it's also really pricey. Even by my standards, it's really pricey. I will be adding one of those switches. I have one in my office where I'm recording right now. My switches on the wall have been Lutron forever, and I have a Lutron hub. Those are the only devices that I've ever added are just the light switches. Um, my electrician, who's really big into home automation, but he doesn't he doesn't mess around with you know things that are either, that are uh, iOS or Android. You know specifically, he goes for like the Zigbee protocol and other similar protocols, but. You know, he's a big Lutron fan. So there are things that you can get that tend to be on the on the more expensive side that do support it. But a lot of the things, it's it's a much different world than what you remember. And if you subscribe to the, uh, if you are subscribed, if you read iMore's site or I do it via RSS, they are constantly putting low-cost HomeKit accessories up on their website that you can, you know, they do it through the affiliate program so you can go and buy it and they get a little kickback. And that's how I keep sort of tabs on what's out there. Cause I'm kind of looking all the time for new things that, you know, some of my devices age out. I used to have an iDevices thing that I used to control all of my outlets and it was huge and ugly and terrible looking. And, you know, I'd get rid of that, but I'm also looking for the, can I put this as an in wall device or, you know, most of those types of things, I guess now what I've done is I've waited for the hue bulbs to go on sale. Cause I had lamps controlled that way. And I eventually just put all the bulbs as hue in the living room eventually when, you know, I could catch enough of them on sale and did it that way. But yeah, it's, it's a much different world than what you remember. You should go and, and check some of those accessories out. Cause I promise you, it's not the way that it used to be. Oh, well, I'll take a look at those. Uh, one last thing at home OS is the package detection for HomeKit secure video. Which, again, if you have that uh, Logitech Circle doorbell, which does a vertical view rather than the horizontal fisheye lens that Ring and your other doorbells do, which is, you know, when I first got it, I hated it because a lot of apps that would present your doorbell feed on other devices are made, they expect a widescreen shot and everything. Most of your cameras you get are now widescreen. So it really, a lot of those apps didn't deal well with vertical. And at first I was kind of like, this is stupid. If I, if I look at this on my Apple TV, if I look at this on my Mac, yeah, this is, this is, I don't like this. But now I've come to appreciate it because, you know, not being able to drive for several months, I have depended on deliveries for groceries and Amazon and everything else. And I do have a much better view of where packages land and groceries land as a result of this. So uh, having it so that it detects the the packages are going to be a nice thing. I've had to play a lot with my doorbell detection. And this has been true whether I had Logitech or Ring is that I have my camera points toward a street. So I've always had false positives of either cars going by. And even when you narrow that field, it's still pretty, eh, 
So now I have it. So you pretty much have to step up onto my doorstep to actually register on the camera. But sometimes the delivery people are pretty slick or they throw the package from across the street or somehow when Walmart delivers groceries, they put it right on the edge of the steps and it's somehow just on the edge of the field and it doesn't detect a person and it doesn't detect an animal. And, you know, I'll just be like, where the hell's my groceries? And I look on the camera and it's like, oh, it's 90 degrees outside and my cold stuff's been sitting there for 10 minutes. Let me let me go get them now. So I am looking forward to that. But I guess that covers all the features. Guys, uh, Brad and, and Jim, you were pretty silent on the home stuff. Is there anything you want to comment on that before we, we close that segment out? Now nah, I use all Amazon stuff. Are we ever going to get you back to the, to the uh, home kit side of the fence there? Or are you just permanently lost forever to be one of Bezos' boys? I would like to be, but honestly, I've, I'm almost just too tied into it now. You know, we've just got them all over the place and... You know, and if if I went in there and told Megan I was going to order two or three HomePod Minis to stick around the house at a hundred dollars a piece, you know, I, I, I yeah, I that, that wouldn't play very that wouldn't play very well in Dallas. How many of those Echo whatevers that you have? You have like the upgraded ones, right? You don't have the uh, just the standard cheapos that I have. Well, I've been getting good deals on them. I mean, I've I've got a couple of the. I've got a re- one really nice one upstairs, the theater one, uh, the big one up in the bedroom. But the rest of them are, you know, pretty pretty standard fare. I mean, they're not dots. They're you know, the either the Echo or Echo Mini or whatever. How much are those? Just out of curiosity, because I I haven't looked at those. I've only got the old dot, so I don't have. Um, you can get them for less than thirty bucks now. You know, depending on what you, you know. So I've got one sitting here on my desk that I had a really old video one that I bought years ago and I was able to trade it in. And when you trade in an echo device, you get whatever they'll pay you for it. Plus you get 20% off of any new echo device you buy to replace it. So if you catch them on sale, you get the sale price minus 20% plus you get whatever you just traded in. So I've been trading up as they release new stuff for almost nothing. Ah, that's why. I always wondered, it's like, why is it he just keeps buying these things over and over and over? Now that that would make sense. He's upgrading them. Well, I didn't realize I had an upgrade program that you just send in the old one and you get the next one for next to nothing. My wife does that on her Kindles all the time because Amazon's subsidizing the whole thing. That's why. No, you're subsidizing the whole thing. That's the thing. But... Uh, what was I going to ask? So how much stuff do you actually order through your, your Amazon devices? Do you actually find yourself using that? Zero. We don't order through them. So the one thing they wanted you to use it for. I, I Well. Scoot closer to the mic. We don't order anything through it. But um, like for subscribe and save, I do get messages on there. Like if it's something's out of stock or, you know, like that's convenient. And then I'm, I'll go check it on the computer. Um, but, you know, I don't say, hey, you know, send me toilet paper or anything like that. No, I mean, I use them to, you know, play the news, play, play the weather. Uh, we use them for timers all over the house for all sorts of timers. I have like, not just like set it for 10 minutes timers, like remind me every two weeks to change the filter in the water bowl for the dog, you know, and it'll go off on Saturday afternoon kind of thing, you know, and say, Hey, change this on the water bowl. You know, do you get push notifications on your Apple watch when that happens? No, it just starts making noise in the house. 
Interesting. I went way off. We went way off the rails with the Amazon talk on an episode that's already almost 90 minutes long. So we probably got to wrap it up. Uh, yeah, we can. Yeah, I was just, you know, saying, yeah, I don't order anything. And and look, I, I like my HomePod. I, it sounds great. I, it's in here in my office. I listen to it every single day. Um, but it's the only one we have. I, if, if they would have made an Apple TV with uh, like a HomePod functionality built into it, I would have paid more for that upgraded Apple TV for the one I just bought. You know, I bought the new 4k. If they would have said, we're going to make one that's Apple TV and HomePod mini all built into one. And it was a hundred dollars more than the Apple TV cost. I totally would have bought it like that. That was a no brainer, but they didn't. So I just bought the new Apple TV and that's what we got. I've been thinking about getting some more UFI cams since they lifted the restriction. I already have five UFI cams in the house and we have about 35, almost 40 uh, of those Philips Hue bulbs spread all over the house. <laughs> yeah, I love those Hue bulbs a lot. Rich Josh, people. were you going to say anything? Or <laughs> what were you about to say? Rich people. I'm telling you, I catch them on sale. Honestly, when I do, that's why I post to our Telegram channel, honestly, is uh, is when they drop. But they also last a really long time. You know, you're not replacing light bulbs with the frequency that I used to replace light bulbs. And it's... I'm going to tell you like I did my grandma when she say it was on sale. I'm like, yeah, but it still costs money, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I, I only buy those Hue bulbs I, when they, when they too, mark so. them down in different places. Yeah, same here. I've never paid full price for, I think, any of them, except maybe the first time I ever bought them. You know, when you get like the starter kit that has the hub and like one bulb or two bulbs or something in it to see if you actually like it. But man, I've, I've had the same bulbs for five years in some of my devices. I mean, I've had them for a long time and they warranty them for the, like, I think the first two or three, something like that. I think it, or maybe 18 months. I can't remember. I've only had to send one back that didn't work. That stopped working, I should say. So they do last. Those LED bulbs do last a long time. And it's so nice to be able to change the temperature on those, to be able to change the brightness, to adjust all of that stuff, even with your voice. And if you guys ever break down and get controller for HomeKit on the Mac, oh boy, that thing, the granularity that you're allowed to be able to do with the stuff, it's, it'll blow you away. Like it's, it's really, really neat. Uh, I guess that should do it for, uh, for this episode. Uh, we went 90 minutes again and I thought, ah, you know, the Mac and watch OS and HomeOS will be done pretty quick. We didn't even cover TV OS. So... <laughs> But there, well, you know, we can. Oh, that's still a thing. I'm actually running 14.7 beta on my Apple, my Apple, my brand new, the upgraded Apple TV 4K is running it because there's a glitch where Netflix will not show you if something is in uh, 7.1 or 5.1. It just shows that everything is 5.1 instead of, you know, if you have the Atmos, it was supposed to show you that, but it doesn't do that anymore. They still haven't fixed that, even in the betas. It was rumored they fixed it in the beta, they didn't. But I guess we can cover that next time. So, anybody have anything before we go? Nope, I don't guess so, you know. Going once, going uh, twice, three times a lady. Uh, I will throw it in there that, uh, like I mentioned earlier, I just got back from my daughter's senior trip to Walt Disney World. And uh, going to a place where Apple Pay is accepted 100% of all places made me a strong believer in Apple Pay, all the things. It, uh, it went Apple Pay is even faster than Disney's built-in Magic Band system with the PIN numbers, and you can just da-ding and you're done. I mean, that was that, that made me a such a strong believer in apple pay I, I want it to do all the things and companies that don't support the little touchless nfc pay i'm like what's wrong with you walmart i'm looking at you get rid of walmart pay and just let us let us use our built-in stuff kroger come on right 
Kroger's another one that needs to do it. Publix does it. Walgreens does it. CVS does it reluctantly, but they do it. But yeah, the uh, whenever they do the commercials for Apple Pay, they ought to only show the Apple Watch. They really should. I know you can do it with your phone. Apple Watch all the way, baby. Just being able to go and just not even have to break out your phone. Just use your use your wrist and you've paid for it is went and got myself a lox and bagel today. And what did I do? Paid for it with my paid for it with my watch. I love being able to do that stuff. But you know, they can't track you like they can with the QR codes. They can't, you know, data mine you as easily. So that's why, you know, certain companies still hang on to that. I got to give Walgreens credit though. Having the the loyalty card and the Apple Pay built into the same interface so that I somehow they do it and it's and it works just fine. You know, companies like Starbucks ought to do that. I hate when I go and I have to use their stupid QR code and stick my arm out the window to the thing and they scan it. Oh, your watch went off and you can use Apple Pay there, but it, the loyalty is not tied in, which is like, why would you not just do this? I'm going to put money on the card. That's how you make your money is to charge interest. You know, you know, you hold on to that money. Hope I forget it and make interest on it. I mean, you're getting paid either way. What's it to you? But anyway, again, a king of the tangents over here. That's what the, that's what they told me in the hospital. All right. Until uh, until next time. Uh, later, fellas. Later, later fellas. fellas. Please visit InfiniteLoopBack.com for show notes and previous episodes. Follow us on Twitter. We're at InfinLoopBack. That's at I-N-F-I-N LoopBack. I'm Brian B. That's at B-R-I-A-N-B. Jim is at Big Jim. That's at B-I-G-J-I-M. Jason is at J-S-N-Y-N-G. That's at J-S-N-Y-N-G. And Brad is at Idol. That's at M-E-E-S-T-E-R-I-D-L-E. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.